Welcome, friend. I hope you're well. You're listening to the Mr. X Dreams podcast, where I regale you with stories of all things paranormal. Now, whether these stories come from my listeners, my own personal and family experience, or fictional stories from my own imagination, all stories you'll hear here are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure you follow this podcast for countless journeys to come. If you're listening on a rating-supported platform, like Apple iTunes, a five-star review would be very much appreciated. If you have a scary story of your own, reach out at mr.xdreams54 at gmail.com. That's mr.xdreams54 at gmail.com. And share your story with me. You might even hear it on a future episode. Now, sit back, relax, and spend a moment or two here in my world. I'm Mr. X, and welcome to my dreams. This episode is a part of a series of my older recordings I did for the Mr. X Dreams YouTube channel. If you're listening to the podcast version, please excuse references to YouTube and subscribers and things like that. Consider it a relic of the past. If you're the type to prefer visuals along with your stories, I usually put artwork and motion graphics to go along with the experience. You can find those videos over at youtube.com by searching Mr. X Dreams. We'll talk again soon. Greetings, my friends. I was going to try to give you a new video this week, but unfortunately I've come down with a bit of a cold. Not sure if you can tell, but I feel like my head's been replaced with a balloon full of lead. There will be a new story next time I see you, so don't worry. I have some really interesting and very creepy stories in store for you in the near future, some of which will probably be recorded in a hotel room, as usual with my current work stuff. So for now, please enjoy this collection of fascinating cryptid encounters I've told over the past year. Whether the stories are familiar or new to you, I hope you enjoy each one. Talk to you soon. Greetings, friends. As promised, I have a story for you which stood out to me in the sea of messages that is my inbox. Every story is important. But something about this one made me stop everything to bring it to you as soon as possible. Stay tuned to the end of the video for a special announcement. Open your mind for just a moment, and come with me, my friend. Hello, Mr. X. My name is Mir. We had a short conversation a while back, in the comments of your Afghan werewolf video. I was the one talking about dreaming of wolves. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to my story. You happen to be the first soul I've ever spoken to about the events I'm going to describe. So I've compiled a list of things that have been happening throughout my family's history, mainly on my mother's side, trying to find answers as to what's been happening to me. I don't know if I'm just desperate for answers, for the mere sake of closure, or if I'm trying to prove that it's all in my head. No matter how much I try to rationalize what's been going on, I can never bring myself to say that it's just my imagination running wild. I was hoping maybe you could help me with that. Before I get into what ails me now, please bear with me while I explain what I believe to be the origin of this whole ordeal. My mother told me of her family, the simple lives they led in a rural city in Panama, Central America. Her father, my grandfather, 
told her many stories about his life as a farmer, but there was one thread that stands out in her memory to this day. She said the reason it stood out was because her father was clearly traumatized by the events. She could see the stress and pain in his eyes as he told it. They lived on a big farm surrounded by large open fields, lined by woods, long before modern conveniences came into town. They got their water from a river about a mile's hike away, and they had about five neighbors spread throughout an area of a few miles. Even though the houses were relatively far apart, they still had get-togethers when they could. Everyone knew each other and they were all pretty social. At some point, people started noticing large numbers of livestock going missing or turning up dead. As bizarre as it may sound, the gossip that started to spread among the neighborhood was that there was a woman who lived in the forest and could change her shape, taking the form of an animal. The community's rumor mill churned on, talking about how the woman could take the form of any animal she chose, but preferred that of a large wolf. They said that she came at night and killed goats and cattle. One day, my grandfather was tending to some crops when he saw someone approaching him from far off in the distance, about 50 or so meters away. He thought it was a bit strange, since it was almost sundown, and he figured most people would be inside by then, if they weren't still working their own fields. Suspicious, he decided to keep an eye on the trespasser. The figure appeared to be headed toward Grandpa's barn, so he went to try to intercept them. As he drew closer, he could make out the vague outline of a woman. It was then that he realized she was moving much faster than he thought, and was going to beat him to the barn. He ran to cut her off on the other side. He rounded the corner and was bowled over at the sight of an unusually large, growling wolf where the woman trespasser should have been. The shock was so great that his body seized up and he fell backwards as the creature charged, leaping over him with a single bound. He said the wolf ran toward the tree line on the opposite side of the property at an impossible speed. My grandfather was shaken by the incident, but it was not over for him. Almost every day afterward, the monstrous wolf would visit the farm. At first, my grandpa would see it staring silently from the tree line. Eventually, it began making its way closer to the barn, even sometimes approaching the house. He tried his best to keep it away, but whenever my grandpa came out to challenge it, gun in hand, the creature was nowhere to be seen. He set traps for it around the property but would find them activated and mysteriously empty. One evening, my grandpa came home to find every single one of his goats had been slaughtered and haphazardly piled up in one corner of their pen. That, for him, was the last straw. He yelled out curses and threats toward the tree line all night as he cleaned up, a task which took him several hours. That same night, not long after he got to bed, exhausted, he was awakened by a sudden noise. The sound of his young daughter, my aunt, echoed through the halls as he rubbed the sleep from his eyes. My aunt was at his bedroom door, banging as hard as she could. My grandfather grabbed his rifle from the closet and stormed out the back door to search for the monster. When he finally saw the silhouette that was clawing at the doors of his home, he says he hesitated for a moment. As hard as he stared at the figure, he could barely tell whether it was animal or human. In fact, he admits that it looked more like a human form hunched over than that of a wolf. 
With only seconds to react, he had to make the call and take the shot. His aim was true, and the round hit the creature squarely in the leg. But something was wrong. The wolf screamed out in pain, but its voice was more like that of a wounded woman than a common predatory animal. What happened next is what, I believe, still haunts my grandpa to this day. The shadow turned its large head towards him and cast upon him a gaze of utter, overwhelming hatred. From its mouth came something resembling Spanish words that dripped with the same animosity that could be felt through its eyes. The beast then stood up and sprinted off into the woods at blinding speed, despite its seemingly grave leg injury. Grandpa says that he saw an old woman wandering down a trail weeks later. She looked eerily similar to the one he first saw on his property, except with a severe limp in her left leg. No one knows exactly what the creature said to my grandpa that night, but he seems convinced it was some sort of curse. A lot of bad things happened in the weeks that followed that had the townsfolk baffled. Sudden crop failures, pets and livestock getting sick, among other things. My aunt, the one who woke my grandfather up that night, passed away in a car accident sometime later. Now, I'll get to some of the things that have been happening to me. Ever since I was young, I've had this recurring dream several times a year. It begins with me being in the middle of a forest. The air is deadly silent, and the woods around me are steeped in darkness. The whole time, I feel like I'm being watched, followed with an intense need to escape something, but I don't exactly know what. I try to run, but I can't move. Suddenly, I look around and see these sets of glowing amber eyes staring at me from every direction. And that's when I wake up. The strange thing is that the feeling of being watched even follows me into the real world. I get the exact same experience whenever I'm in the woods in real life despite the fact that I've been camping and hiking many times with nothing going wrong, other than one particular incident. Back in 2013, I went on a three-day camping trip in Oregon, a place called the Cascade Locks. I was with my mom, my uncle, and two cousins. I have so many great memories from that trip, but there's one that I wish I could forget. It was dark. We had a fire going with s'mores and the whole deal. I had to step away for a moment to relieve myself near some trees, not too far from the fire spot, but far enough where no one would hear me. As I made my way there, that familiar feeling of dread began to creep down my spine. My ears perked up, and I realized that I couldn't hear anything at all, not even the crickets that were so loud before. By the time I finished up, I was turning around to head back to the fire and everyone else when I heard my mom calling me. Mir? Maybe? For a moment, I felt somewhat relieved to finally hear something in all that deafening silence, but my relief was suddenly stomped out when I realized the voice was coming from the wrong direction. The call repeated itself. Mir? Baby? The exact same sound, tone and everything. This time, I was positive it was coming from deeper in the woods the opposite direction from where I knew my mom was. 
I still had to do a double take because the voice sounded so authentic, but I told myself it couldn't possibly have been her. I knew she was back at the campfire. I'm not afraid to admit that I ran as fast as I could to get back to the campsite. That incident ruined my mood for the whole last day of the trip, needless to say, but I didn't bother telling anyone. I didn't want to put a damper on anyone else's time. It was hard enough for me just getting the odd looks from everyone when I came back to the fire, being clearly out of breath and visibly shaken. Ever since then, odd things have continued to happen to me and the people around me. My dog, who was in perfect health, suddenly died with no known cause. The vet couldn't verify what went wrong with him. My family and I lost our home to a fire, and mysterious illnesses have struck several of my family members. My grandmother passed away this year, right after an open-heart surgery that went off without any issues. She was expected to make a full recovery. My mom was even with her, but went out for a bit since she was doing so well, only to get a call minutes later, telling her to come back right away because grandma was fading rapidly. I left work and came to the hospital, and we stayed with her until about 1am when she finally passed. Neither the doctors nor the coroner could determine the cause of her sudden, rapid decline. I wondered why so many bizarre tragedies had befallen my family. Less than a week after my grandmother died, I went on a business trip to Utah. Driving on my way back, I finally saw something that caused me to connect the dots and form a theory as to what might be going on. As the sun was setting on a lonely interstate, I caught a glimpse of a pair of shimmering eyes in the distance just off the side of the road. Being a bit superstitious, I slowed down a little to confirm what I was seeing. The same exact amber eyes I remember from my dream stared back at me, along with the dark silhouette of a body. As I neared the creature, expecting to have a bit of a laugh at what was hopefully just a coyote, I could see the overly large, hulking frame of a wolf-like beast. It was pitch black, hunched over, almost as if it was somehow deformed, but its eyes were trained on me, focused. As my truck sped along the road, I could see the ears on the top of its head. They were sharp and close together, pointed straight upward like a Doberman. Before I could analyze it any further, I saw its body jerk awkwardly before darting off, and something hit my windshield as if thrown at me by the monster. I screamed, reflexively, and floored it speeding away as fast as I could. All I could think was, what kind of dog or wolf could throw things like that? In the midst of my panic, I felt a short laugh escape my mouth as I felt my sanity slipping away with it. With no other way of getting peace of mind, I decided to visit a local psychic. She was going to give me a palm reading, but as soon as she made contact with my hands, she rudely shoved me away and demanded that I leave. I'll never forget the look on her face. It was like that of a deer in headlights. She told me that something dark was following me, and that she wanted no part of it. This left me feeling completely hopeless. I have no idea what I'm dealing with here. However, to be honest, being able to share this story with someone as open-minded as you, and the people who listen to you, has lightened my burden a bit. I'm honestly scared of what might happen to me and the remaining members of my family. If this thing ever finds me, I don't know what I'll do. Thanks for listening, Mr. X. Mir
Hey there, Mr. X. My name is Travis. We spoke earlier on Instagram. I'm 19 years old and currently serving as a member of the U.S. Navy. Air Traffic Control. This story happened to me a while back when I was stationed in Japan. I was always a huge fan of anime and Japanese culture growing up, so going there was like a dream come true for me. The first thing I truly fell in love with there was the mountains. I remember stepping off the plane on Naval Air Base Yokosuka and being captivated by their beauty. Lush green tapestries covered each one of the seemingly endless mountains. I was in the perfect location, not too far from the ocean and not very far from Tokyo either. I was extremely excited to be there after a lifetime of fantasizing about it. I got my room assignment and moved in with the few belongings I had brought with me. I spent the next two weeks going through mandatory culture classes for all newly incoming personnel. Despite my fascination with the country, I still spent pretty much my first month playing video games in my room. Eventually, I did decide to take a trip, planned on hitting a hiking trail up in the mountains. After I had signed out at the admin desk, I took a taxi to Kyoto, where the trail began. I finally got moving around 4.45 p.m. It started out on a large paved road that cut right through a village that was built during the Edo period. Very old. It was fascinating, yet a bit eerie to walk through there in the quiet of the evening. Before long, the trail turned to dirt and led into the forest. The path I took was narrow and tightly packed with trees on either side, creating a mildly claustrophobic corridor. I walked along for hours, transfixed by the plants, insects and wildlife that were somewhat alien to me. I occasionally came across and chatted with other hikers as we passed by one another. Around 8pm I got to my first rest stop. I took the opportunity to have a seat on the bench and eat a snack. After hanging out there for about 15 minutes, I suddenly began to feel extremely anxious. The hair stood up on the back of my neck and my eyes darted around, analyzing my surroundings but seeing nothing out of place. The feeling subsided as I got back on my feet and continued down the trail, but came back about 15 minutes later, this time even more intensely. I tried to ignore it, but something just felt wrong. I didn't notice right away, but the sounds of insects and birds chirping had come to a complete stop. Once I became aware of it, the silence was deafening. The sun was going down and the forest was darkening by the minute. I picked up the pace, wanting to reach the end of the trail before it got too dark. I realized I hadn't had the foresight to bring a flashlight with me in my bag. I tried using the light on my phone, but it was no help. At this point I was basically power walking down the trail when I heard twigs cracking. Probably about 15 to 20 feet behind me and to the left, just inside the thick, bushy lining of the trail. I refused to turn around and pressed on. Inklings of fear and anxiety started to creep up on me when I realized the sounds of twigs and branches began matching my pace. The tension in my mind rose as that went on for about the next five minutes, the entirety of which I spent trying not to crap my pants in fear. The idea that something was following me got progressively worse as the forest grew darker. I tried to envision what it might have been. By the sound of it, I first assumed it might have been an animal, but as I listened more closely, I could hear only two distinct footfalls, implying it may have been a person, 
walking on two feet. As soon as that thought entered my mind, the steps began to speed up at an alarming rate. My heart jumped out of my chest as I broke into a sprint. By this time, the forest was almost completely dark. I was running with my hands outstretched, hoping to avoid colliding with any trees or other hikers on the way, because I could barely see anything. Seconds later, the creaky footsteps transitioned into heavy thuds against the dirt path. I thought to myself, Jesus, it's on the trail with me. My legs burned as I ran. I couldn't stop swearing out loud into the night and praying that I would find the exit to the trail soon. I knew there was no turning back. Behind me I began to hear breathing, but there was something terrifyingly off about it. All I could hear were deep, rapid exhales. No inhaling breaths at all. Whatever it was, it was constantly spewing air out of its lungs somehow. I started screaming as loud as I could, running at full speed into near-complete darkness. Eventually I took a nosedive and went hurtling into the bush, when the trail unexpectedly veered to the right. I tumbled down a small decline and stopped only once I hit the base of a tree. My arms and legs were covered in small cuts, my nose was trickling blood, and I'd lost my backpack. Worst of all, I could hear the footsteps getting louder and louder as I sat frozen against that tree trunk. I could feel my heartbeat in my temples as my eyes shot around, desperately searching the blackness but to no avail. The footsteps came down the path, but continued right past me, fading away until I could barely hear them. I strained my eyes to try to see what it was, but the little moonlight I had was waning, so I saw nothing. I sat there in shock for several minutes before I got up and climbed back onto the trail. I had no choice but to follow in the same direction, hoping to at least make it to the visitor's center, which was about a mile away. Otherwise I'd be stuck out in the forest all night trying to get all the way back to the entrance. I got my second wind and began to jog down the trail again. As I made headway, the trees began to recede a bit, and I could see the city lights cutting through the dark night. I could even hear the sounds of cars driving in the distance. A measured calm started to come over me. But just as I stopped to catch my breath, I finally saw the thing that had been chasing me. It stood ahead of where I was, just off the trail, towering over the bushes. It was a shadowy black figure, but the moonlight glistened faintly around its silhouette somehow. Its arms and legs were disproportionately, disturbingly long. Its head seemed extremely large for its body, and its torso was wide and stocky. For some reason, I almost threw up when I saw it. An involuntary scream peeled out of my throat, and my hand instinctively slapped over my mouth to stifle it. My knees got weak and I fell to the ground, curling up almost into a fetal position. I was too tired to run. I hate to admit it, but all I could do was lay there, sobbing roughly. I heard its heavy footsteps approach me, stopping just inches away from my face. I kept my eyes closed tightly, refusing to look upon the monstrosity that had been stalking me all night. I heard unnatural sounding grunts coming from its gigantic head. Its head seemed extremely large for its body, and its torso was wide and stocky. It scraped up dirt from the trail in its hand, and sprinkled it over my face, head and neck. 
I think it was trying to coax me into looking at it. I didn't. I just stayed on the ground, motionless, until I eventually fell asleep from sheer exhaustion. I woke up early the next morning, my face still pressed against the cold earth, blood-crusted clothing and body aching like crazy. I made my way down the rest of the trail through a haze of grogginess. Luckily, there was a lone employee at the visitor center who was able to get me to the park infirmary. Needless to say, I haven't been back to that trail, nor have I even gone hiking alone ever since. Thanks for listening, Mr. X. Sincerely, Travis. Hey there, Mr. X. My name is Connor. I wanted to share with you what happened to me in one of the strangest times of my life. Let me take you back for a moment. It's the summer before I start the third grade. I'm about seven or eight years old. The summer nights are cool, so I have my windows open. Sheer curtains blow gently with the light breeze coming in. I can see the bright yellow street lights against the dark night sky. As I'm drifting off to sleep, I notice the lights begin turning off and on. Not a flicker. It's clearly deliberate. Off. On. Off. On. My dog, a fearless golden retriever Chow, is laying at the foot of my bed, her rhythmic breathing slowly picking up speed. She begins making these faint whimpering noises while stress and worry begin to build in my mind. A sense of deep, nauseating dread takes over my body. A strange odor pours into my room like a flood of water, smelling of a mixture of ozone, rusted wet metal, and dirty dog. It's so putrid that I intentionally stifle my own breaths. I have the intense feeling that something is staring at me from outside. My dog whimpers again and cowers back up to the corner of my bed. The street lights turn off again, but this time, they don't turn back on. Something is out there, staring. I can't stand the suspense of looking out into the night sky with that feeling weighing down on me like a lead blanket. All I can see is the top of the street lamp, its coils still seeming to glow from the residual energy. I lift my head just a couple of inches to see over the windowsill. My field of view expands all the way to the street level, and all I know is that something doesn't quite look right about what I'm seeing. My brain finally makes sense of it, and every muscle in my body tenses up at once, illuminated only slightly by the ambient light of the neighborhood, is a figure at least half the height of the pole on the street light. It's gotta be about seven feet tall. The figure's eyes seem to reflect a light that outshines its own surroundings. Its stare keeps me from moving. I feel stuck. The urge to cry out for help rumbles in my chest but has no place else to go. My brain screams at my legs to run, but gets no response. All the while, the stench of this thing continues to fill my lungs and remind me of the situation I'm in. I can taste the stink of this monster. The fear grips me for a time. I don't know how long. As I begin to accept the state my body is in, I start to analyze the horrific sight in front of me. At first, it looks like a giant dog standing upright, 
but the more my eyes adjust, the surer I am that it's something far more terrible. Its legs are bent backward in a way that looks extremely tortured. It has a canine-shaped head, and filthy, matted, wet hair covers its body. It almost appears to have a hunched back, with its head leaning forward drastically, sharp ears pointed back as if on alert. The creature is holding something large in what I assume to be its hands. Whatever it is, it's dripping or parts of it are falling off and hitting the ground. I can hear loud, slapping and splattering sounds whenever that happens. My childlike mind races to process what I'm seeing. As I focus on the object in the creature's hand, I begin to make out the distinct shape of a human leg. I can clearly see the foot and toes. My body convulses and gags against my will as I start to completely break down into a panic attack. My dog turns around and sinks her teeth into my leg, yanking me out of the bed and onto the floor. I realize suddenly that I can move, and I immediately run for my mother, whom I find watching TV in the living room. Tears and snot are already running down my face as I throw myself at her, hysterical. I keep telling her something horrible is outside, but I can see that she assumes I had a bad dream. I beg her not to leave the house. She holds me as I cry, but I never get to sleep. I wait until daylight to go over to the spot where I saw the creature. I'm almost unsurprised to find watered-down puddles of what looks like blood on the ground, under the streetlight. Soon after this encounter, I began having a recurring nightmare. The creature is always there, but instead of being a filthy, mangy animal, it's cloaked in extravagant robes, with elaborate jewels and trinkets hanging from it. In my dreams, I'm usually walking home from school with my friends. It's an easy route, one my mom used to walk with me until she trusted me to do it on my own. It's only about three blocks away from where I live. My friends convince me to take an alleyway as a shortcut, and I always know it's a mistake but I go anyway. I ask if they're sure we should be going that way, and they just brush me off. Guys, come on. I don't think this is... Suddenly, the dream shifts from day to pitch black night. Lights flicker in the alley, sporadically illuminating writhing piles of human bodies lining the walls. Homeless people, drug addicts, some dead some barely alive. Trash and needles litter the ground beneath my feet. My friends are gone. I look ahead and see the creature slowly walking down the middle of the alleyway. Behind it are several smaller, less ornamented, dog-like creatures. They all appear to be weakened or injured, and closely follow the main one, as if they're subservient to him. As the beast closes in on me, I get the familiar feeling of being transfixed, stuck in place. My chest tightens, and I remember when I saw this thing in the real world. The same fear creeps up my spine as the smell of sulfur, metal, and wet dog permeate my nostrils. I can hear the voices of the destitute people behind me in the alley. They plead to the creature for aid. No. 
It reaches into its robes and produces gold coins, scattering them to the ground. The people gather from their places and pick up the coins, and then the lesser dogs swarm out onto them. The dogs appear to hover over each person who has taken coins before entering into that person's body, possessing it. My feet are as heavy as iron. I still can't move. The creature stops in front of me, locking its eyes with mine. It holds out its large, fur-covered hand with sinewy fingers, tipped with long, jagged yellow nails. It opens its palm to reveal rubies, gold, and even diamonds. It's at this moment that I know. This is a demon, and it's trying to bargain for my soul. Even as a child, I know instinctively that this is not just a scary sight, but that it's seriously something bad. I think back to the time I saw this creature in my neighborhood. All I can do is try to find a way to escape it. I rack my brain trying to remember how I got away the first time, and then it hits me, my dog. She saved me. She bit my leg and broke me away from this curse. As I stare into the faintly glowing eyes of this demon, I close my own. I can't tell you how, because I don't know. I suddenly feel myself standing on four legs. I stand face to face with this supernatural predator and bare my teeth. I feel the hair standing up along my neck, all the way down to my tail. I've become a wolf. The demon does not move, but the lesser creatures behind it begin hooping like a pack of wild animals whipped up into a frenzy. I begin to back up slowly. It still doesn't react. I turn to walk away, looking back for one final glance to see that the demon's arms are now lowered to its sides. The offer is no longer available to me. I turn and run with the speed of a wolf until I get to my house the screams of the lesser dogs fading into the distance. I never stop feeling the demon's gaze on my back until I wake up. I've been having this dream for so many years. These creatures have been haunting me ever since, and I still feel a psychic connection to the demon I saw. I think that's what may call it back to me someday, in the real world. I had three near-death experiences as a child, I never told anyone about this, but I've always felt it was the dogs trying to get me, trying to take my soul. Thanks for listening, Mr. X. Connor Hey, Mr. X. My name is Lou. First off, I love your channel. It's so great that people have a place to share their stories. It's this community and the environment that you've created that has emboldened me to actually share my own life-altering experience with the unknown. I normally don't like to talk about it or anything for fear of what people would think, but if there's any place I'd find some level of compassion and understanding, it must be here, with you and the people who listen to you. So here goes. Several years ago, I was on my way home from work in the financial district of Lower Manhattan, New York, of course. I worked in an office building literally a block away from Wall Street. This was late 2011, 
around the time of those Occupy Wall Street protests in Zuccotti Park. The streets were packed with people wearing backpacks and headphones, carrying signs and megaphones. It was pretty much impossible not to bump into someone as you tried to navigate those narrow sidewalks. To be honest, the hassle wasn't anything special to me. I had my earbuds in with music playing to drown out the noises during my commute, just like any other day. I do consider myself a New Yorker through and through after all. However, in order to get to the subway and back home to Queens, I had to either go around or right through Zuccotti Park, which did get a bit annoying after a while. Still, crowded streets are a part of our reality. Unfortunately, the same is true for the millions of homeless people taking refuge in the various nooks and crannies of the city. I'm not a saint or anything, but I do try to at least drop a bit of spare change in their cups every so often. I wish I could say it was every time, but it's not. I want to help when I can, but I'm embarrassed to say that sometimes I'm in such a rush that I don't even notice them there. I guess that makes me no different than the people who just breeze by the needy without giving the poor souls even a single glance. Sometimes it's as if the homeless are an invisible element in our cities, subsisting on the scraps left behind from those more well-off. I think that may be the reason why what happened that afternoon, right in the midst of crowds of people, was able to go unnoticed. I don't think anyone but me realized or even cared what was happening. The park was too crowded for me to walk through that day, so instead of trying to fight my way across to the subway, I decided to circle around and try a different stop in a quieter area. To get there, I cut into a side street that was significantly less busy. The moment I set foot there, I was struck with a feeling of heaviness and dread that instantly plunged my previously decent mood into an abyss. I couldn't understand why or where it was coming from, so I pulled out my earbuds and turned off my music, just to be safe. I felt that I needed my senses to be as sharp as possible for whatever danger I was sensing. As I tucked the earbuds away in my coat pocket, a pungent odor began to creep into my nose. It was the smell that hits you when you walk into a subway car that a homeless person has claimed as their permanent dwelling place. I looked ahead toward the corner of one of the buildings to see a surprisingly young man in torn-up jeans and a hoodie. He had wild black hair and a long, unkempt beard. He rocked back and forth with a look of utter hopelessness etched into his face. He clutched a small cardboard sign that read, Help, please. Army vet. Lost everything. Just need $40 to get back home. There were very few people walking down that particular street, but there were enough passing through that he would occasionally pop out from his corner with his arms outstretched holding the sign, begging for the slightest bit of acknowledgement. It was quite a sad sight to behold. I felt terrible knowing that I had nothing on me to spare. As I got closer and closer to him, I felt terrible knowing that I had nothing on me to spare, so I would inevitably end up being one of those people myself, walking by him without seeming to care at all. Just as that thought crossed my mind, I saw an odd-looking man further down the road, walking toward the homeless guy. The strange man stopped and crouched down to the homeless one's level. After staring at him a moment, the stranger reached into his pocket and pulled out a large roll of cash, holding it out in front of him as if to offer it, but clearly holding something back. It was a bizarre sight, especially in New York City, 
but at least I no longer felt as guilty being unable to help the poor guy. I wish things went as you would expect from that point on, but unfortunately, that's where things began to get weird. To be honest, I've been building up this long preamble because every time I think back to this event, a sharp chill runs down my spine and I swear my eyes tear up. So as I continued to walk toward the pair, I realized that everything, like the world around me, began to slow down somehow. The loud noises of city streets faded into a soup of auditory blur. Every sound muffled as if I was holding my hands over my ears, or had my head underwater. As this was happening, I realized I was staring at the strange man holding the wad of cash. I noticed how ordinary he was. Everything about him seemed so plain. He was dressed like any other white-collar worker. A simple, or even slightly ugly brown suit hung loosely on his slender frame. He wore a tie and dress shoes and carried a generic leather briefcase. He also had a matching brown hat on his head, angled in order to hide the top half of his face. As I slowly made my way closer to them, the stranger lifted his head to meet the confused gaze of the homeless man. That's when I stopped dead in my tracks. The formerly bland appearance of the man became clearer to me, and I noticed two haunting features. His skin was ashen white. Not paper white, but not quite gray either. And his eyes, they were a deeper black than I could ever describe. I tried my best to rationalize what I was seeing, but my brain just had a visceral reaction against it. A guy wearing black contacts in a business suit would be a little weird, but I'm sure it wouldn't be the first time someone had made those particular fashion choices out in NYC. I can tell you this, though. A regular guy dressed like that would not be enough to stop a New Yorker in their tracks like it did me. It was more than just the look of him. It was the feeling I got from him. It was like being punched in the chest. As a child, I dealt with frequent asthma attacks. And as an adult, I've had more than my share of panic attacks. But this was something else entirely. Much worse. A heavy, nauseating feeling that was born in the pit of my stomach and crawled up my chest before nesting in my throat. The air had become solid around me as I stood there, frozen. I could see in my peripheral vision that other people were still walking by through the side street, although I somehow saw them moving in slow motion. After a few moments, the strange man and the homeless man's voices seemed to emerge from the muffled white noise of the rest of the city. Their voices slowly became clearer to me. I missed a lot of what was being said, but certain words stood out. I... I don't want to die. The words shuddered from the homeless man's mouth as he reached for the money. His eyes were fixed on the roll of cash, yet steeped in hesitation and fear. The stranger smiled at him. And I swear to you, Mr. X, something about that smile made me want to scream. It was that moment I realized I couldn't scream even if I wanted to. I could do nothing but stand there helplessly, my feet nailed to the concrete sidewalk as the scene played out just a few yards in front of me. The stranger's response was chilling. At the mention of his name, Robbie sat straight up with a look of slack-jawed amazement, tinged with horror. A side note going forward, I'll refer to the man in the brown suit as Brown. This will be important in a few moments. 
So, before Robbie could say anything, Brown lifted his hand as if to give an important presentation and spoke again. His voice was just so wrong. I can only describe it as oily, gravelly, and wet, like someone trying to talk through a mouthful of phlegm. If you think the description sounds gross, just imagine how foul it made me feel hearing it. Question is, do you want to die happy and comfortable, wanting nothing, or here in this alley where no one will even notice until you've been rotting for a while? I still don't know how that scream didn't fly out of my mouth after what happened next. If I could have moved at all, I would have jumped right out of my skin. A third voice chimed in before the corresponding figure stepped into my view. Another strange man, nearly identical to Brown except taller, and somehow even thinner, and wearing a gray suit. I'll call this one Gray, for the sake of organization. Gray held a lit cigarette between two fingers and stared down at Robbie with a tired ambivalence. Take the money, Robert. We have things to do. Robbie nodded with a resigned expression as he took the cash. He gasped as he clawed at the bills, unfurling a surprising amount. This is so much, he exclaimed. I couldn't make out what was said next. I saw Brown stand up next to Gray, followed by Robbie standing and gathering his few possessions from the ground before thanking the two strange men, and then briskly walking toward me. He brushed past me in a hurry, thanking God over and over again, crying. I still couldn't move. I was stuck there as the two strangers' gazes fell upon me when Robbie was out of sight. The two sets of pitch-black eyes staring at me gave me the distinct feeling of being watched by something not human. Their mouths moved as if speaking to each other, but I couldn't make it out. The volume of the white noise around me was going crazy, up and down. It was extremely disorienting. Eventually I could hear a few bits of their conversation, but the language was unlike anything I'd ever heard. Now consider this. I speak fluent Spanish and understand bits of many other languages. Italian, French, Arabic, a little Japanese, and even some Yiddish. You tend to pick up little things here and there living in New York. I can certainly place a language roughly when I hear it. What the strangers were speaking was unlike anything I'd ever encountered. The sounds they were making weren't even sounds that people made. It actually caused me physical pain in my ears when I really began to hear it. Like when your ears want to pop on an airplane. The feeling when you know that there's pressure in there but you can't get it out, so it stings. The pain got so bad I wanted to vomit. Brown snarled a word at his friend in the same wet, nasty voice. English. Gray then made a bizarre clicking noise, smiling that same horrific smile that Brown did earlier. It'll be fine, Brown responded. Then why did you lie? What Brown said next still keeps me up some nights, even all these years later. He rolled his shoulders back and grunted. Does it matter? I'll be wearing that stupid chip by the next moon. My eyes.
eyes began to well with tears as I tried desperately to look away, but I was still paralyzed. Slowly the world began to creak back toward normal speed again. Mr. X, I'm telling you, I'm trying so hard not to cry as I sit here typing this. Just like the plight of Robbie or any other homeless person, no one bothered to even look at me as I stood there in terror. People were there, moving slower than normal, at least from my perspective, but no one stopped or noticed that I was in trouble. Gray looked directly at me. My head started swimming and I immediately felt dizzy. My vision blurred as I lost focus on all except one thing, Gray's voice. Um, well now, look what this one can do. Cute. Suddenly, Brown stepped forward from the sea of blur, his black-eyed face sneering at me from mere inches away. Whatever. A chimp is a chimp. They're all the same. Gray's voice grumbled at me. Hey, you, chimp, leave now. He snarled again, and I felt it in my bones. Keep walking. I wish I could tell you what happened next, but the next thing I knew, I was standing on the sidewalk all the way up at Columbus Circle in Midtown, almost a half hour's walk north of where I was. A man I didn't know was holding my shoulders as random people passed by with concerned looks on their faces. I was barely conscious. Once again, my vision was completely blurred out. When things slowly came back into focus, I could finally hear the man's voice. Yo, uh, you alright? He asked with a nervous tone. Damn near walked into traffic, man. You okay? Must be on drugs. Someone yelled out as they scooted by. I told the man I was okay as tears began to run freely down my face. I apologized and fled the scene as soon as I could, rushing over to the train station, having no idea how I got so far uptown. By the time I got home, I realized I wouldn't be able to tell anyone, not even my wife. She would definitely think I was losing my mind. I haven't seen those strange men, or whatever they were, since that day. I thank God for that. Over the years, I've done research into the paranormal to try to identify what they may have been, but I haven't found anything matching their description. I heard of black-eyed kids and black-eyed people, and the vibes people seem to get from them are somewhat similar to how I felt with brown and gray, but the situation overall was totally different. I don't know what I saw, and it still messes with me to this day. I've been to therapy about this. I've tried rationalizing and all kinds of other mental backflips, but no luck. Whatever the case, I can say that nowadays I can go about my daily life without thinking about that incident. Whenever I allow myself to reflect back on it, it seriously shakes me up. And I'm not immune to late nights of insomnia for fear of nightmares. I still question my own sanity every so often. Was this even real? After hearing some of the stories you tell on your channel, I wondered if anyone else might have seen something like this. So Mr. X, please share this story if you can. If anyone has had similar experiences, 
Perhaps they can help explain what in the world I went through. It would mean so much to me if you could tell my story. Sincerely, Lou. Hello, Mr. X. My name is Josh. I'm a 24-year-old male living in the Philippines. The story I wanted to share with you today isn't exactly one of my own, but was told to me by my father some years ago. The events transpired when I was only a year old. Back then, my family lived in a pretty rural area where everyone knew everyone. We also had a ton of relatives nearby living in the same group of neighborhoods. One day, my dad was outside in the backyard watering some plants. He was minding his own business when he suddenly noticed an unusually large black bird perched up in an old tree. The branches of that tree hung low, so my dad got a much better look at the bird than I'm sure he wanted to. He didn't think anything of it at first, but he soon noticed that the bird's eyes were a deep red, not glowing or anything like that, but more like they were severely bloodshot. He said the bird just sat there, staring at him, returning my father's ponderous gaze just as intently as he watched it. Dad was unsettled, but soon got back to his work, got done watering and went inside. A few hours later, it was getting dark. Dad went back outside to do some more chores in the yard. Now, the way our houses were set up, there was a sort of alleyway with a fence that separated our house from the one next door. My dad was finishing up when he caught a glimpse of something small scurrying across the alleyway, making a splash in a puddle of water. Since we had a pet turtle at the time, a red-eared slider, Dad thought that maybe the turtle got out of its tank somehow and was trying to run off. He walked over to the dark alley and, upon closer inspection, he found the culprit. Oddly, it was some kind of large crab. This was not a common sight in my area by any means. A crab the size of a dinner plate just out on the street. The strangest part was that, in the low light coming from the back of our house, my dad could see the crab's eyes. They were the same deep blood-red color of the blackbird he'd seen earlier. The crab stopped in its tracks and stared him down, the same intense glare from his encounter with the large bird. He quickly dropped what he was doing and went back inside the house, by that point admittedly creeped out by yet another bizarre animal sighting. The next day, Dad went to speak with the neighborhood elders about what he'd seen. They told him it was an aswang. So, if you didn't know, Stories of Aswang are all over the Philippines, especially out in rural areas like that one. They're basically the Philippines' equivalent to vampires of Western folklore in terms of mythology. They're said to be shapeshifters who have a taste for animal and human entrails, but their most sought-after delicacy is the flesh of an unborn child. The legends have it that the Aswang would crawl around on rooftops at night, searching for pregnant women. When it found one, it would settle above the expectant mother as she slept, winding its freakishly long prehensile tongue into her room by some opening in the roof, and suck the baby from her very womb. As it happened, at the time, my mother was pregnant with my little sister. In order to comfort my father, one of the elders claimed that he knew the Aswang had paid a visit to our house. I don't know how he knew this information but he insisted that this particular Aswang wasn't trying to eat my sister. Rather, he said, it simply enjoyed being around pregnant women because it finds their aroma to be somehow intoxicating. My dad said although he was still creeped out, he was also a bit relieved that he wasn't dealing with a creature that supposedly wanted to harm his family. And months later, my sister was born without any problems. 
We never heard from that creature again as far as I know. Thanks for listening, Mr. X. Josh Dear Mr. X, please call me Beth. I was recently watching one of your videos, the one about the woman who grew up in Mina, Nevada, and had an encounter with a dogman. It made me want to share a story that I went through myself a few years ago. This took place in late 2014 when I lived in the high desert area of Southern California. The small town I called home was surrounded by mines that had been long since abandoned. Not unlike that of the girl in your video, our property was way out in the desert, at least five miles from the closest town. No paved roads and no streetlights. The only line of defense we had protecting our home was my three guard dogs. One sweltering afternoon, my neighbors, Donna and Chad, knocked at my door. When I answered, they had two very strange questions for me. One, if our dogs had been let out the night before, and two, if our car had bite marks all over it. I told them that the dogs were outside, but I had seen my car earlier and didn't notice any damage. In his usual complaining tone, Chad said there were large tooth marks all around the wheel wells of his truck, and that he wanted to know if it could have been one of my dogs. He walked me over to his vehicle and showed me the damage. I immediately knew it couldn't have been any of my dogs. As a matter of fact, I wasn't entirely sure that any domesticated dog would be able to produce enough force to do that much damage. Chad didn't seem satisfied with my response. I bent down to take a closer look, but I found it hard to imagine how he could possibly think my dogs had done it. The marks were almost comically too large to have been done by any normal-sized canine. I looked back up at him, trying my best not to let him see that I thought he was an idiot. These weren't scratches or shallow dents you would expect from a dog biting a car. The metal was actually ripped through in places. There were full-on holes punched in through the chassis. Just to be sure though, I checked my dog's mouths, for broken teeth or any cuts in their gums. As I expected, they were all fine. We never did find out what exactly messed up Chad's car. The area was known to have sightings of cougars and bears coming down from the mountains when prey was scarce, but I couldn't imagine why one would do this to a car, if it was even possible. About a year or so later, I was watching a show on TV that talked about sightings of hellhounds in Palm Springs, an area about 20 miles or so away from where I lived. The sightings reportedly occurred around the same time that the car was attacked. The man being interviewed on the show even mentioned finding huge bite marks on his car. As I've thought about this many times over the years, I've often wondered if there was some connection between the abandoned mines and whatever creatures we were dealing with here. I also wonder if things may have gone differently for me if my dogs weren't out on watch that night. Thanks for your time, Mr. X. I hope to speak with you again soon. Sincerely, Beth. I want to thank you all for listening, and for your patience with me in this stressful and turbulent time in my life. I truly appreciate your love and support, my dear dreamers. Until next time, I'm Mr. X, and may your nights be full of dreams. Oh, and by the way, like I said, I feel pretty icky right now. Today's code word is icky. Use it in a comment down below so I can see you. Love you guys. Later.
Hello again, my dreamers. Mr. X Dreams here. I wanted to thank you for listening to the Mr. X Dreams podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Like I said before, make sure you follow this podcast for countless journeys to come. Don't forget, if you can, please leave a five-star rating and review. It'd be very much appreciated, and it certainly helps out. If you feel I deserve it, that is. Also, if you have a scary story of your own to share, reach out to me at mr.xdreams54 at gmail.com. That's mr.xdreams54 at gmail.com. You might even hear it on a future episode of the show. Once again, thanks for listening, my friend. I hope you're well. Enjoy your day, night, weekend, or whatever's coming next. I wish you the best in all your endeavors. Until next time, I'm Mr. X, and may your nights be full of dreams.